Father, each week as we come before you at this time in our service, we ask you to sanctify us in the truth. We recognize that your word has sanctifying power. It sets us apart. It not only declares, but begins to shape and mold us into the righteousness of Christ, Lord. So give us ears to hear, eyes to see, Lord, and hearts to receive what you would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, continue our study in this Gospel. We're looking specifically at Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 21 to 34, and would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given." And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. This is God's word. Would you please have a seat? If I told you this morning that this sermon is, is not about you, would you, uh, would you still listen to me? If I told you this is not going to help you get better in your marriages, it's not going to help you in your parenting, It's not going to help you do better in your career. It's not going to help you be healed or whole. It's not going to help you in any of those things that we are so eager to have in our lives. Would you still listen or would you tune me out? Because if if it's not for you, you can go back to scrolling through your phone or playing the video game that often consumes your time. Those are the things I do when I'm not interested in something. So I'm just giving that out there right at the beginning because I'm not going to talk about you because the parables don't talk about you. They talk about instead the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a message that directly affects those things. So is it still something worth listening to? You know, in the first century, Jesus was going about and he is preaching to a people that were living in a land that was longing to be restored and rescued out of the oppression 
of these Roman occupiers. They were, they were eager for God to restore His kingdom. So when Jesus came to preach a message about the kingdom, which is, of course, how He announces His ministry, I come to tell you that the kingdom of God is near, they were prone to listen because they were hoping for their kingdom of God. And I bring that all to your attention to say exactly, you know, if this is a message that interests you, you have come to the place in your life where your hope primarily is resting on a restored kingdom. Now, there were many in the first century who by this time had perhaps given up on the kingdom of God and simply wanted to find a way to live the best they could in the midst of the situation in which they found themselves. So they came to bring their needs to be healed to Jesus, and when they were healed, they went on their way, and they went, they, went, they went away, they left. They had what they needed to live for the moment in the circumstances in which they found themselves. Now, we can approach the Bible that way, just looking for the hope that we can to get through this year, to get through perhaps the, the difficult time that we're experiencing, to improve our, our family life, to do a better job as a parent, to have a better marriage to know where we ought to succeed in our careers. We can certainly do those things, and none of those things are bad. The question is, is your hope in those things, or is your hope rather in a restored kingdom? Because what happens in a restored kingdom? When the kingdom of God happens, some significant things are going to happen. All we have to do is turn to the, the back of the Bible to find the answers, right? And there we find that when the kingdom comes in its fullness, there will be no more death. No more tears, no more pain, no more suffering. There will be no more need for a sun to shine because we'll all live right in the presence of God and His, His light will give us light. We'll live where, where the river of God flows from the throne of God, along which we find the tree of life and the, which leaves are for the healing of the nations. We find a place that is flourishing where there is no oppression anymore, where life is meant to be experienced in all of its glory, in all of its finest, in all of its joy. And that really should be where our ultimate hope rests. So rather than tune out a message because it's not helping you in your marriage today, we can listen to the message of the kingdom of God for it's talking about the ultimate hope, the ultimate restoration. If you want to tune out, it's because your sights are too low rather than too high. I love that story for those of you who remember the, the old Toy Story movie. And the Toy Story movie is the, the story when the, the child who owns the toys, the, the kind of the God figure in the story, is moving away and two of the toys get left behind. And they're trying to get back and they, the rest of the toys are in the back of the moving truck trying to help the other toys get along. And, and uh, it's the, what is it, the, the Buzz Lightyear figure and, and, and Woody, the the cowboy, and they're, they're riding on the, the piece of the dog that's been left out with the spring, and they're trying to get back into the truck. At least that's what they think. Yeah. And as they get going, and they kind of rocket ahead, Woody, who's expecting Buzz to land himself in the back of the truck with all the toys, misses, and he says, where are you going? He says, well, we're not aiming for the truck. We're aiming for the child. We're aiming not this morning to help you get a better life, in today's corrupted world, we're helping you to know the hope of the ultimate kingdom. Because in that ultimate kingdom, all of those things, all those problems that we experience, they just go away. Like Jesus says, He says, you worry about what you will wear and what you will eat and what you will drink. He says, don't worry about those things. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. And all these other things, 
will be added to you. Let me worry about all those other things. You focus on the kingdom of God. So he gives us some parables that teach us about the kingdom as we look at this, uh, the nature of the kingdom, and specifically, how exactly do we see it? How does it grow? And what's its ultimate goal in its growth? Those are the things that he gives us in these parables to help us appreciate the coming kingdom of God. So how do we understand it? The first thing we notice as we look at these parables, and we're just going to go through them in order, is we see the kingdom when we listen to Jesus. We see the kingdom when we listen to Jesus. It's another reiteration of the message of how important it is to listen. So if you look, for example, at uh, beginning in verse 23, he says this, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So the message is, pay attention to what you hear. When the Lord speaks, don't tune him out. Even though he's not telling you how to have a better marriage or a better career or a better family, he's telling you about something that is vitally more important. He's talking about the kingdom of God. But he does it in these strange forms of these parables. And we looked last week at why he spoke to parables. He spoke to parables, as, I, as Isaiah 6 says, to keep people from seeing or to understanding unless, unless God has given them ears to hear. Because what does a parable require you to do to really discern its meaning? It requires you to pause. It requires you to look carefully. It requires you to read it again and perhaps again. It requires you to meditate. In other words, it requires an investment of your time and energy. And the only thing that's going to cause you to invest your time and energy is knowing that in that parable is something worth having. And how do you know if something in that parable is worth having? Well, do I trust the one who's explaining it to me? Do I trust the one who's explaining it to steer me in the right direction? You know, last week we were considering the message was to listen well. If you have ears to hear, let him hear. And to listen well, we discovered, means to obey what Jesus is telling us. Well, if we know there's some some, something worth hearing in those parables because we trust the one who's telling us, we trust him to steer us in the right direction, means when he does tell us something and we trust him to steer him in the right direction, then we need to be doing exactly what he says to do. We are to obey. So it's, it's, it's not a mystery when we read things, for example, in the Gospel of John, who puts it very bluntly, he simply says in, verse, in chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's not a condition. It's like, you know, you have to do this in order for me to love you. He's saying, no, if you love me, this is what it looks like. You love me, you trust me that I'm going to steer you in the right direction, that I'm going to tell you the right way to go, and therefore, obey what I tell you to do. Follow my commandments. It's not really optional, because <laughs> if you don't, you're going to find yourself on a wrong path on a dangerous path, on a bad path. So he's telling us to listen to Jesus. And what does he go on to say in this parable? He goes on to talk about this parable. Like this, he says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed 
and not on a stand? Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Of course, we get that concept. A lamp is meant to help you avoid the dangers that otherwise you might run into. Uh, you know, last week it was really cold, and the previous time we had a l- long period of cold, we busted two pipes in the education building. So this time when the cold came, we decided we're going to open up the ceiling where those pipes burst so that some of the heat can go up. Well, I came in, it was last Monday morning, or maybe it was Tuesday morning, I can't remember, uh, but I pulled that attic ladder down in the room right outside my office, but I forgot to turn on the light. I went into my office for a few hours when I needed to come out to use the restroom or something. I walked right through there and smacked my head right on that attic ladder. You can still see the, the scar right there. And thankfully, I was wearing my beanie. I don't know how bad it would have been if I hadn't been wearing that. But oh, that hurt. I just probably said some things I shouldn't have and backed down. And, and the reality is that the dark hides dangers that we simply cannot see. So the principle is clear. You don't put a lamp into your house and hide it under a bowl or a basket or a bed. You put it on a stand so that it sheds light on the entire room so that you can see those things which are dangerous. And then what does he go on, goes on to say? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And we're going to talk about what this means in just a minute. But first, I want you to ponder, what is the lamp that he's talking about here? You know, for those who would have been listening, who would have been familiar with the Scriptures, when they hear the term lamp or light, they would think of the Word of God. You know, in the Old Testament, that's how it's likened. For example, in Psalm 119... Verse 105, we read a familiar passage, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I think Amy Grant sung a song about that, didn't she? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 19, verse 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And he goes on later in that psalm to say, Moreover, by them, that is your commandments, your precepts, your law, By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. So that would have been the image connotated. You don't bring in this lamp, the law of God, to to hide it away. You use it instead to guide you in your life. By living your life according to the law of God, all of a sudden you can see the reality of things out there in the world. It is a way in which we can interpret the world. We filter the world. Uh, there's another concept of that. You've heard of the, the concept, the idea of a worldview, and everyone has some way in which they are looking at the world that is helping them interpret their values of what's important, what's not important, how should I live my life, which there are fundamental things we hold to be true that help to guide us and explain the big questions of life. So, for example, those big worldview questions would be things like, where do we come from? What's wrong with the world? How do we fix what's wrong with the world, and where are we going? You, know, you have some fundamental set of presuppositions that you answer those questions that guide you in the course of your everyday living. And if you're living according to the precepts of God, that means the, the very first thing you, you understand, you assume to be true, is that we came from God's hand, that He created us which has all kinds of implicit meaning, that we have, we have purpose in life, we were created for a reason, 
We ourselves have value and worth because we're created in the image of God. Now, if you don't hold to that, if your assumption is that we just exist as a result of evolutionary chance, then there is no inherent meaning in life. It's simply what you make of it. There is no guide. And how do you explain the problems that we have and see in the world? How do we explain the existence of suffering and oppression? Well, if you begin from an understanding of a biblical worldview, you know the problems are described way back there in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord and took from the forbidden fruit, cast out of the Garden of Eden, and as a result, the whole earth was cursed as a result. So we can explain that the problems in the world begin with the human heart and our own sinful nature that we inherit and the resulting curse that fell upon all of the earth. Now, if you don't start with that, and you simply start that we really have no inherent meaning, we are just this blob that becomes a consciousness, then there is no, no, there's nothing except neutrality about you. So how do you explain the problems of suffering in the world? These neutral people have to somehow learn how to oppress others. And the cause of that is often attributed to be the various institutions that exist in the world, that somehow people are teaching other people to be evil. And the solution, therefore, in that answer is that we have to fix the institutions. We have to remove the institutions that we believe are implanting these ideas that create and lead to oppression and problems in the world. And historically, those targeted have often been the family and the church, because they would teach about this nature of sin and wrath, that there is an absolute standard of right and wrong which would forbid people from living often the way they would want to live. And that's attributed to be the source of oppression in the world. But if you're, coming from the, if you're starting with God, the solution to the problems in the world have to begin with the human heart. And there is no way a human by himself can fix the human heart. It requires a Savior, which is exactly what the Bible teaches about, that God sent His Son to be the one, to pay the debt that we owed to God, to live the life that we were required before God, so that we, by putting our faith in Him, could be declared right in His eyes. We would be washed clean so the Holy Spirit could come visit us, remove the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh upon which He could begin to write His law, His character. That's how the Lord is seeking to fix the problems in the world. And where are we going We're going to an ultimate kingdom where we get to dwell completely in the presence of God. If you want to think of it in a restored paradise. That's where history is heading if you're starting by looking at life through the lens of Scripture, through the light of what God has revealed. But there's more to this idea of a lamp that is in this Gospel of Mark. This is a parable that we find in in several of the Synoptic Gospels. But Mark is unique in what he does in one particular characteristic. In, in his version, instead of, if we were translating it more accurately, it wouldn't be a lamp, it would be the lamp. There's a definite article there in front of the word lamp that the other gospel writers don't use. So Mark is trying to tell us something a little bit different than the other writers with, when they reference lamp. And if we've been following Mark's gospel, you realize that all that Mark is revealing to us, that the, the, the parables that he's chosen to include, the nature of Jesus' teaching is all pointing to us understanding who Jesus is. 
So when we, we see he's saying the lamp, you don't take the lamp and put him under a bowl. He's talking about himself, which is what, by the way, the religious leaders were trying to do. Don't put me under a lamp. Don't seek to eliminate or undo or nullify my teaching. For I, he's saying, am the light of the world that, we should, that should put it be put on a stand. And what's interesting is he goes on, that, that second part, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Well, what had been secret and mysterious up to this point of Jesus' coming? The way in which God would bring in the kingdom. If you go and read Peter, he talks about how the prophets searched diligently. They were looking and longing to understand when it was that God's Messiah would come. But they didn't know. They were still in the dark. Paul talks about the mystery of the gospel, which would bring the Gentiles and the Jews together. What would have the power to do that? Well, these weren't, these weren't to remain mysteries. They weren't to remain hidden. What would make them known? The coming of Jesus Christ would be the one to reveal that mystery of what is the gospel, the mystery of when the kingdom of God would come. How would the promises of God that he'd been, uh, He had given over the centuries be fulfilled. Jesus is the lamp to put on a stand to make sense of it all. And we too, therefore, if this is the case, we are to listen to Him. And He says, to the measure you use, it will be added unto you. And it's an interesting phrase. There's a little play on words there. The measure that you use in the first part of that when He says, um, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? The kind of basket he's referring to is a measuring basket, a basket they would measure, for example, the crops that they would bring in. For example, this is a bushel or this is something, uh, some other measurement. So it's almost as though he's saying, the basket you use to, to hide me, well, I will hide you. <laughs> or the measure to which you listen, I will give back to you. So again, we're reiterating that message we saw last week. If you're listening well... God will continue to bring out more treasure of the mystery of God, of the nature of Christ. If you're not listening, then even what you have, He's going to take it away. So the application initially is, is, are you listening? Are you listening? Now, the second parable is interesting in a different way talks about the parable of the seed growing. So it helps us to see how does the, this, the kingdom of God grow. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. So it's a pretty clear picture of what happens. So it was, I was asking Kent if I could use him in illustration. Kent, my good friend, came over last week or a few weeks, I guess last month. It's been a while now, before Christmas it was, because I have a bunch of bear patches, bear patches in my backyard. He brought over this bag of rye seed and we spread it together. Actually, he spread it and gave me leftovers so I could spread later, which I did. And we watered it and then I promptly went away to Oklahoma to visit family over the Christmas holiday. 
And when I came back, look out in the backyard, there's all this rye seed, all this rye grass is growing up that's just about ready to mow. And you think, wow, how did that happen? I never saw it growing. I go to sleep, I go away, I come back, and all of a sudden, it's there. And he's saying something about this is the way the kingdom of God grows. It grows imperceptibly. Have you ever tried to watch a blade of grass grow, by the way? Can you see it growing if you watch it? Maybe if you put one of those time-lapse cameras and watch the replay, but it's imperceptible if you're just trying to watch it in the human eye. You can't see it growing. And, and I think this is meant to encourage us as we think about the kingdom of God. If your hope is in the kingdom of God and you can't see it growing, should you give up on it? Now, you can imagine in Jesus' day how important that would have been because they didn't know anything about the kingdom of God and when it would come. Jesus is announcing the coming, and it's hard for those disciples to see it actually doing anything. Is it producing fruit? No, instead we see all those people who had gathered around you initially in the crowds, they're going away. And now the authorities are carrying you away and they're putting you to death. It would seem the very opposite. There is no fruit growing. But the message is that, look, you can't see it growing, but it is growing nonetheless. It's just imperceptible. But it is growing because God is causing it to grow. I think about the way in which sometimes I have been involved in trying to, to uh, serve other people as a pastor, and it can be sometimes very discouraging when you work with people year after year, and it just seems like they're not growing, nothing is happening. Am I just spinning my wheels? Am I just wasting my time? Uh, when I first got out of seminary, I was um, serving as a youth pastor at a church in Ohio, and I was only there for about 18 months, but those 18 months, I worked my tail off, pouring my heart and soul into this group of kids. And in those 18 months, I really didn't see any change. We had fun together, we did stuff together, but there was no apparent awareness that anything I had said had made any impact upon their lives. Uh, about eight to 10 years later, after I had come here and was serving at Cornerstone, I got a call from one of those youth who said, will you come and uh, conduct my wedding? And uh, flew me out to New Jersey. This is the only time I've done a barefoot wedding on the beach. That was fun. Uh, but I got to meet his future bride, and with him at the wedding, he had a lot of those kids that were from that youth group. And here I can see them 10 years later, walking with the Lord excited about their relationship with Jesus, of all the people he wanted to do that wedding was me. I thought, wow, God is working. God is doing things, even though I can't see them. I know I've told you this story about my own experience. I really didn't, my eyes really weren't open to any truths about God until I was a junior in college. But my freshman year, there was an upper-class student who took an interest in me and came and invited me to be part of a Bible study. And I said, sure recruited one of my uh, buddies down the hall to come, and every week we would go through the Bible study together, and I cannot remember a single thing he ever said, because everything he said went in this ear, went out the other. He saw no change in us whatsoever, but nonetheless, he was faithful. He would come, and we would do it. He would take us off campus, because we couldn't have cars as freshmen. He would take us to movies. He would pick me up on Sunday mornings. He would take me to worship, and all the time, he saw no 
change whatsoever in either one of us. And, you know, it's one of those moments I, I've told you this before, I would love to be able to reconnect with him and just tell him, I'm so thankful that you planted the seed. It took a long time to grow, but it did. I don't even remember his name. That's the sad part. I've actually gone back to look at the uh, yearbooks to see if I could find his picture. I haven't been able to find it. Find it. I guess one day in eternity I'll be able to find him. But that's how the Word of God grows. The kingdom of God grows. You can't see it. So don't be discouraged. Don't give up. For those of you who are trying to practice that, that blessed, where you're beginning with prayer to pray for three or four or five people within your sphere of influence, you're trying to pray for them regularly. You're trying to listen intently to them as they talk about their lives, trying to take time to find that you can eat together with them just to get to know them, find ways to serve them, and ultimately share the hope that you have within you with them in a way that means something in their life. We've been trying to do that for several years now, and I hope that you won't give up just because you don't see any of those particular people you've been praying for have any movement toward the gospel. That doesn't mean that the, the seed is not accomplishing its purpose. That's why we were reflecting last week on what God says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. He says, the, the word goes out and will never return to the Lord without accomplishing the purpose for which He sent it. So don't lose heart in that bless method. The kingdom of God is growing, even though you can't see it. Now, where is it growing? What's the goal? The goal is the last parable as we move to, beginning in verse 30, he said, "With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when, sows, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And here is this picture of this seed that is on the surface of things very inconsequential, especially if you look at it compared with the other, other seeds you might plant in the garden. Here's the smallest one. It seems to have, you might not even be able to tell it's a seed. And yet when it's planted and it grows, it grows into this great mustard plant, which he describes as having branches so large that it provides shade for the birds to nest in. Now, I don't know if there was an intentional connection between the birds in this parable and the birds in the previous parable, but you recall the birds in the previous parable, the things that snatched away the Word of God, the seed as it was planted along the path. Maybe there's a connection, maybe not, but I think the, the answer is clear. The, if the birds aren't members of the kingdom of God, nonetheless, even the birds, the non-members of the kingdom of God, are finding blessing as a result of that mustard plant. I think that's what Jesus is explaining in some ways, that as the church of God grows, as the kingdom of God grows, even those that aren't part of it find their lives to be better. It has an impact upon all of society. And also, we see that it's growing to be quite, something quite large. And if you think about the first century and what was happening, that would have been a very important message. For Jesus Christ as a person 
was someone who seemed very inconsequential on the grand scale of history, at least at the time. Here's a man that's born to a very poor set of parents, not only a poor set of parents, but to a teenage woman who was not yet married. That doesn't bode well in a society. He lives in the Middle East, a backwater corner of the Roman Empire. It's nowhere near any place of real power. The real power was in Rome, or before had been in Egypt, or if you want to go farther out, farther east. Those were the power centers of the world that had an impact. Here in this backwater corner of the Roman Empire is this man who never traveled beyond Egypt and Galilee, as far as we are aware, who was always poor, telling some interesting stories, and eventually goes to his death. It certainly would appear very inconsequential, kind of like that mustard seed. And Jesus is telling them this ahead of time. So they'll understand, look, it's going to look bleak. It's going to look inconsequential. It's going to look like there is nothing about this kingdom of God that I've been talking about. But, but wait, it will grow. It will grow into something large. It will eventually grow to fill the whole earth. That's how the, the vision of Daniel puts it. This rock that is cut out not by human hands will grow to fill the whole earth. When Jesus, before He ascended to heaven, gave us that great commission, He says, go and make disciples of all nations. The book of Acts, which recounts that same thing, says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the outermost parts of the world. And that's exactly as you trace history where you see the kingdom of God growing. By the time of Constantine, the emperor in Rome, Christianity had spread so far that even he is a professing believer. Even by the end of the book of Acts, we see it making its way to Rome, and also we presume that eventually it made its way to Spain, as Paul talked about going there eventually. So even within that first century, it was spreading far and wide. Now, that, that's an important truth to remember and reflect upon, especially when you live in America and you look around at the church, and instead of seeing it growing, you're seeing it shrinking. I've been meeting on Wednesdays at lunch with a couple of other pastors, several other pastors in town, and we've been t- discussing this book called The Great Dechurching. The Great Dechurching is trying to explain the phenomena of what they've observed about the church in the last 40 years and how it has been shrinking, that people have been leaving the church. So it's an analysis of, well, why are they leaving? Who exactly is leaving? And and would they be willing to come back? That's kind of what the book is about. But it's, it's, it's an interesting question. How do you reconcile the reality of what we are observing today with this parallel of the kingdom growing? It seems to be shrinking. Well, I think there's a couple of ways to do it. One is to remember the parable that just went before with the seeds and the soils. And to think, if the church is shrinking, what does that tell us about the nature of what kind of soils were in the church? When the seed is planted by the rocky soil where it springs up initially, seems very excited. Do we get those people within our churches? Certainly we do. But when hardship comes, they fall away. Some seed that is planted among the thorns and the weeds, 
which gets choked out so that it produces no fruit. I think we can see perhaps both of these people who we thought were part of the church falling away. We'd say there's a sense in which the church visible is becoming closer to looking like what, what theologians have called the church invisible, the true church. But at the same time, if you look beyond the United States or North America, you can see that the church is growing. It's just exploding in different parts of the world. If you were to look down in South America or the continents of Africa or even in China and Asia, the reports are that the, that the church and the kingdom of God is expanding outward, having huge impact. So while in Europe it may seem to be shrinking, in North America be shrinking, across the world that's not the case. It's growing, it's exploding, and it is happening. It's just reaching different corners of the world at different times. So again, the message is, don't be discouraged when you look at the kingdom of God, when you put your hope in the kingdom of God. It is true that it is not here in its fullness yet, but there is evidence all over the world and throughout history that it is doing exactly what Jesus said it would do. It is growing. It is spreading throughout the earth, though it is growing imperceptibly. How does it grow? Very simple. Listen to Jesus and obey His teaching. Become a follower of Christ, and you will enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is for those who belong to Him, for those who have been given ears to hear, for those for whom Jesus explicitly died on the cross to save. For those people, they stand in the presence of God, and as He looks upon them, He sees the righteous record of Jesus Christ, so that they are declared clean. These are the people who are visited by the Holy Spirit who are opening their eyes and opening their ears to receive the message, to understand what it means, and to put it into practice. Don't grow discouraged and don't give up listening. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the kingdoms or the, the parables of the kingdom, which point ultimately to Jesus, the one who would reveal that kingdom to us. And how that kingdom would grow imperceptibly and throughout the world. Help us not, Lord, to lose heart when things get hard or we don't see it happening or we grow impatient. But to know that Jesus is the light of the world. That He is the one to whom we are to listen. Help us to follow Him. In Jesus' name, amen.